Welcome to No Small Talk, the Arkansas Times Arts and Entertainment Podcast. This is Jacob Rosenberg. I'm here with Stephanie Smittle, our Arts and Entertainment Editor, and Omaya Jones. And as we do each week, we're here to break down Arkansas art and news and culture. And like we do each week, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the show before we get started. The bulk of today's show, we're just going to be talking about the Arkansas Times movie that's playing next week, which is Point Break. And it's a continuation of our heist theme. But first, as we do each week before we get into the bulk of the show, let's talk about what the Arkansas Times is doing in terms of, you know, big events going on. And as we've been talking about all month, Musician Showcase. So, Stephanie, um, first, I guess we should congratulate the winners of round one and two. Round three is happening tonight. We don't know who's going to win that yet. But TBD. Round, yeah. Round one was the Rios, right? That's right. And the I- Rios. And then last week, Couch Jackets took it home. There will be a third Thursday, February 15th, and then um, the last round, February 22nd, is all returning acts from last year, Mortalist, The Inner Party, De France, and Recognizer. Uh, for tonight's show, there we've got Sabine Valley, Faya Burns, Crankbaits, All the Way Korean, and Deep Sequence. So if you haven't heard of any of these bands or you've read their names and been sort of meaning to get out and about and figure out what's going on in the local music scene. There are nine bands that you can hear just in the next couple weeks. And then the finals are February... March 9th. March 9th. (laughs) Not February. February 9th happened already, but... uh, March March 9th 9th. at the Rev Room. Okay. That's on a Friday, so don't let that throw you off. The showcase semifinal rounds are all on Thursdays, and the final round is on a Friday. Yeah, and so it'll be five bands in the finals, which is four bands, one winner from each round, and then one sort of what is the how's the last one that's right yeah so each band that wins one of the semi-final rounds one of those four rounds advances to the finals there will also be a fifth band which is basically the band that didn't win their round but scored highest overall yeah well i mean we should talk about these two winners i saw couch jackets and they were fabulous i thought they were really great I've been listening to their album a bunch and trying. I, I don't really have a way to categorize their sound. They sound young, <laughs> like, but in a incredibly polished and, and, and great way. What do, what do you kind of make of them? Or You know, I just think they're a classic example of why the Arkansas Times has continued to do this for 26 years, is having a band that people, you know, you, maybe you've seen them on show bills, you've seen them sharing bills, or maybe you haven't seen them at all, and it's a matter of hearing a band and going, holy shit, we have this in Little Rock? Like, these guys are from down the street? Yeah. So yeah, sound. Couch Jackets, the Rios are the same way, just super solid soul music that just um, felt really good, Yeah. and if that is any indication of what the finals are going to be like, I think it's going to be a blast. Yeah, I think it'll be awesome. And then tonight's last night if you're listening to this on friday you will have missed some great metal music from who's, who's metal? crankbait crankbait yeah. is metal that's it yeah. metal and you'll have missed sabin or sabine how do you sabine valley yeah sabine valley so they're kind of i mean i guess i describe them as kind of kind of shoegazy killer lead vocalist and they're also a group of very young people i believe a couple of them are still students at east M high school yeah so that'll be delightful all the way Koreans from Hot Springs. Hot Springs, yeah. So it's sort of, I'd describe it kind of like somewhere between punk and performance arts. Uh, really <laughs> heavy, heavy punk-influenced rock and fronted by Bill Solider, who's at Visit Hot Springs and formerly uh, Low-Key Arts. And then there's Fire Burns, a rapper who I'd never heard of before this, this showcase. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping to hear more. I'm, I'm kind of curious about Fire Burns. 
Then lastly, up tonight is Deep Sequence, this sort of really funk-based band that played New Year's Eve at Sticky's and apparently really killed it. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there. And then February 22nd, if you want to go to that, Mortalus is metal and really great. Is it speed metal from Mortalus or is it just... Is there is there a, oh, wow. an adjective that goes before metal that we should... So many divisions to metal, uh, but they play really fast. Okay, so it's at least somewhat speedy metal. And then do we have sort of ways to define these bands loosely if people are looking for the February 22nd show with Interparty, DeFrance, Recognizer? Or Recognizer, it's, you said, was a hodgepodge group of people that have all played the show- showcase before. There's multiple men named Mike Mullen. You're not positive sort of how to categorize their sound right i would say that if you're a guitar nerd you probably did recognize her they're re- they're really good at coaxing out a lot of different sounds from guitars their self-titled debut which came out i think at the end of last year just uh, that, that's what i came away with it just really solid hooks and made the guitar sound a million different ways awesome. um to france is i don't know if they'd resist this label but to me it's like the you know the best of sort of in the pocket kind of southern rock you know if you like tom petty uh, you probably are gonna like de france i'm so down for de france then <laughs> the inner party as uh, a sort of trio from fayville that i understand has gotten a little outsized and maybe bringing some more people in and of course their name is a reference to uh 1984 but I, yeah it's just super super solid punk with middle finger giving lyrics and i thought they killed it last year and i think that they were um, maybe down a person last year or, or some sort of adverse situation so i'm stoked to hear them again awesome well so it should be great you should keep on coming to the musician showcase it's every thursday at stickies at 8 p.m i think it's always great and and then you should definitely come for the finals when they're on March, not February, March 9th at Rev Room. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into the bulk of our discussion, which this week is about Point Break. All right, we're back and we're here to talk about the movie Point Break, which is playing next week at Riverdale as part of the Arkansas Times Movie Showcase. So, of course, we've got Amaya who schedules that every week. And Amaya and I talk about movies a lot, but. I will be totally honest. I'm not a huge Point Break person. I don't know too much about it, so I'm gonna let Omaya really lead the discussion. Why is this being played? You know, why is this part of the heist film stuff that we're we're showing um, sort of in sequence here for the Times? Okay, yeah. So there are a couple reasons why we selected Point Break. Uh, um, one is as an action and heist movie. Um, it's directed by Catherine Bigelow, and one of the things she's known for is sort of taking the sort of outsized genre uh, or elements of genre that are typically characterized char- or characterized um, and maybe played for camp or exaggerated and making them human. Hmm. Um, then it's also, it's directed by Catherine Bigelow. And so one of the things that I try to do when we're programming the series is have a good balance um, in terms of gender, race, and ethnicity in terms of the directors and the films that we're showing. And we're talking about heist films that can be a little bit difficult. This has yes. been a male-dominated medium for a long period of time. Right. And specifically, mm. I mean, it's often about robbers and, yes. and cops. And traditionally right. in Hollywood films, those have been played by white men, right? Right. And then what Catherine Bigelow does is really interesting with this film is the central dynamic of the film is this relationship between Keanu Reeves, who plays Johnny Utah, Patrick Swayze, who plays Bodie, and Lori Petty, who plays a character named Tyler. Um and 
it's almost like a love story, which is weird between you know, it's been Reeves and Petty's character, and there's also just as much of a, an attraction between like Reeves and the Swayze character. Yeah, I, I thought the whole thing was that Swayze and Keanu were having some vibes going on as they're like surfing and. Right there, there's a lot of um, undertones there. Okay. Yeah. And in the background of this love story, there is of course a heist, a. Plus, plus a sports movie. It's like a surfing movie. It's about a yeah. Point Break is. I wrote about this in our preview, but a Point Break is when there's a object mm-hmm. in it that juts out from the shoreline, and this causes a consistent and really nice wave because mm-hmm. the way that waves hit against it causes tunneling wave that can be surfed easily, and so that is what point. I don't know how that factors into the movie, but I'm I'm hopeful it factors in in some interesting, dynamic way. <laughs> Well, you know, when you watch the film, you'll see that surfing is a big part of it, and also sort of extreme sports, and which is also, I think they doubled down on the remake, which I didn't actually see the remake, but... I've seen more of the remake than I have of the original, to be honest with you. Uh, it was one of the worst things I've ever seen. There's another remake <laughs> that's not officially called a remake, but it's called The Fast and the Furious, which is essentially Point Break on Wheels. Are you serious? That is your contention, that... Oh, is, the Fast and, is Fast and the Furious considered a heist film in your, in your mind? Yeah, I mean, you know, they drive cars and steal things from trucks. They heist things. I never um, thought about Fast and Furious as a continuation of the heist movie. I'm okay. gonna rewatch these. That 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 changes my thought process on, on kind of what yeah. I think of as Fast and Furious. Well, movie. I mean, not to get too off topic, but it, it is interesting how if you watch the first one, it is a heist film, and then as the series continues, they almost become superhero movies. Oh yeah, and it sort yeah. of changes with the di- well, because really what we're tracking here, and I, I think this is true, is Point Break is partially the beginning of really 90s movies. It was made mm-hmm. in what, 1991? Mm-hmm. And it is, it is for me, a definitive 90s action movie. And it's interesting when you say that Fast and Furious is a continuation and a dilution of a heist film until it becomes a superhero movie, and maybe like dilution and then creation of superhero right. movie, because it's basically, that tracks what happened to mm-hmm. big budget films that everyone would go see you know which is they were heist films they were action films and then they suddenly became superhero movies that sort of tracks to me with kind of what happened and this really is the beginning of the kind of uh traditional way that we think about a heist film in the 90s i think like this point break really was dominant in terms of it taught a lot of people how to make a big budget movie that is in this style like there's tons of point break kind of movies that i've seen you know without seeing point break yeah, and I think that I mean, there, there's so many things that are about the, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff that's interesting about this film. Like, really, Scott was almost going to direct it, and then Catherine Bigelow came along after he dropped off, and she had to fight to get Keanu Reeves cast in it. Was um, Keanu, Did Keanu not want to do it? or No, well, Keanu Reeves wanted to do it, but before that, I think he just done, like, Bill and Ted. And, like, the studio didn't see it. James Cameron didn't see it, because uh, Catherine Bigelow and James Cameron were married at the time. Yeah. And Cameron talked about how he didn't see it, but she saw it, and then Bigelow, like, teaches him essentially how to be an action star to be in this movie and she, now yeah. i mean keanu reeves is still still like an action star with yeah, john wick that's how we think of him yeah do you think of keanu as an action star primarily i mean totally yeah. I, I, matrix i mean i just yeah. think like you know you that's the vision that i have of him right yeah the matrix and speed and all these great great keanu reeves speed films. yes well we were definitely at this moment where it could have gone either way with keanu right he mm-hmm. could have been bill and ted for forever, forever. <laughs> he could have been stuck in a perpetual Bill and Ted life, and instead he became the Point Break guy, and then the Speed guy, and then mm-hmm. he has good instincts, I think, for the direction of his career. You think so? 
Yeah, well, I mean, deciding saying yes to the Matrix, I think, was kind of a big deal. I think this maybe underappreciated how radical that was. You know, like so, like, supposedly Will Smith passed on it. You know, oh, really? Yeah. He passed on the Matrix? Yeah, and I feel like there are lots of stories about actors passing on roles that then go on to be really big, and then as a result, they just never turn down roles again after that. Yeah. But then, so Keanu Reeves is able to navigate going from stoner comedy, Bill and Ted, to action star with um, Point Break and Speed, and then The Matrix, and then he kind of had a, dip, a little bit of a dip in his career, and then like John Wick. You know, and he's able to sort of navigate the whole thing. And now Squarespace commercials, mm-hmm. and that's been great. Those Squarespace commercials that I don't understand. I don't know if you've seen any of those. It's like Keanu Reeves is like floating through space, or he's like uh, like riding on top of a motorcycle with his feet on the motorcycle. It's extremely <laughs> strange. All right, back, back to Point Break, <laughs> yeah. which um, one of my major questions is we saw Rafifi, and we talked mm-hmm. about how that really fundamentally changed the heist film. How do you think that Point Break change this genre going forward yeah i think one of the things is that so the heists are definitely a part of it and i've i feel like the heist scene they feature bank robbers who wear these masks of presidents right and Mm -hmm. um and so you can make you can read a little political statement into that ronald reagan uh, jimmy carter lbj nixon yeah but this the core of the film is actually the relationship between the characters outside of the context of the actual heist itself so it's sort of Using the heist as an element to stage these elements of, of the relationships between the characters and sort of explore their personalities. Heist films are typically like really masculine and filled with testosterone, and with Point Break, you know, it's really sincere and touching. And again, like there's almost like a romance between Swayze and Reeves characters. Well, I mean, we talked about this with Rafifi and Stephanie. You talked about this a lot with Rafifi, but heist films, and I think we've seen this, are so masculine, and you kind of because they're mainstreamed. I guess the question I'm asking is, you know, we've had the new Oceans mm-hmm. coming out, which is a fundamental heist film, mm-hmm. but it's an all-female cast. Are heist do heist films still carry the weight that they did in the 90s that they do now? Is is like that is a is that a big deal that we have an all-female heist film as much of it would have been if in the 90s we had an all-female heist film? And the reason I ask that is because in the 90s the heist film was the action film and it was the big film, but it feels so much more radical to have Wonder Woman than it feels radical to have Ocean's 8. Does that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, all, uh, I would say there was an all-female all heist film in the 90s, set it off. Really? What's that? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, Queen Latifah and Jada Pinkett Smith and um, who else is in it? You know, it's, it's uh, all-female African-American bank robbers who... Never seen Set It Off. I've never seen, set, seen it set It Off. Never seen Set It Off. Oh wow! So that so that's what I'm curious about too. Like with something like Set It Off, did you feel like it was just basically recast with women, or or that the fact that you know, like, could men have played those roles? Oh no, I think the fact that they're African American women and Set It Off is the point of the film um, to some extent. Is is sort of um, and also Queen Latifah's character is as um, a lesbian, which is, was radical for the time. What year we set it off? I think it was like it's got to be like '99 or like 2001 at the latest. Set it off. We gotta watch That's your recommendation off. for the week. <laughs> yeah. Is there a reason why you didn't plug it into the the series? So going back to the idea of um, focusing, and maybe I mean maybe we're too director centric, but mm-hmm. I think the director of set it off I think is John Singleton. Oh really? That's yeah, weird. <laughs> it's, it's one of those '90s non Spike Lee black directors. Okay. Wow, that's interesting. 
as we're you know what is the what is the next film after um, Point Break by the way? Uh, Bob Lafleur. Okay, so is Point Break is the most modern heist film that we're going to watch in the mm-hmm. series, right? Yes. Do you think it's do you think that we've moved past Point Break as a model for the modern heist film at this point? Has there been another film that's defined it beyond what Point Break has done? You know, I think in the late '90s and through the early 2000s with uh, Steven Soderbergh and the Oceans movies, there was more of an emphasis on style and cool because like those those are cool movies um you don't think point break is cool it's cool but in a different i mean they're just watching like the camera moves in like oceans 12 there are parts where you're watching it's like oh this is like a french new wave film or something and there's Mm -hmm. there's just a way with the camera that's not there it doesn't feel as big budget it's like point break feels like a studio picture point break is not gonna be drastic with the wipes and with the cuts and stuff like yes. that the way that uh i mean oceans 11 and 12 you're like okay no. someone directed this who like wants me to know that they're directing the film right now can i do a quick correction do a correction set it off was directed by f gary gray f gary gray right john Ooh. singleton how dare how uh, dare you say the john singleton directed it so f gary gray also did uh friday that's an interesting oh. little combination of films for him maybe we should do an yeah. f gary yeah. gray uh also straight out of compton so we should do like a full <laughs> full series on just him Stephanie, are, are what are you kind of excited about in Point Break? Is there anything that either of you think that we should watch for that is exciting about? I mean, this is a movie that I haven't seen too many times, but I've seen it on cable so many times I feel like I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you all excited about for it? I'm a child of, you know, I'm a child. I, I grew up very young in the 80s and so became, you know, hey, aware of movies in the 90s. So... I'm always ready to be proved wrong about any misconceptions I have about Keanu Reeves. And there, are, <laughs> there are so many. In fact, one time, as I recall, I sort of subtly tried to throw some shade at Keanu about something or other. And uh, everybody that I was with at the time brought up this 1986 film called River's Edge, which is supposedly, you know, remarkable and groundbreaking. And I was like, are you kidding? Um, so... I'm always ready to to learn my lesson about Keanu Reeves. How you learn to love Keanu. Mm-hmm. Remind me, I want to send you, there's a, there's a piece, I think it was an article, it might have just been like a blog post, but they were just talking about Keanu Reeves' style of acting and sort of, it's not in this Hollywood tradition, but it's more of like an, uh, this East Asian tradition style of acting, or it's more reserved and, um, yeah, it, it, I feel like he's doing something specific that a lot of times, if you're used to Western style acting, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know to make of Keanu Reeves. I really like Keanu Reeves sometimes, and other times I'm like, why is Keanu Reeves being all Keanu Reeves right now? I want him to stop being so weird in front of the camera. And sometimes he just slips into some personality. I mean, really, you should check out the Squarespace commercial because, it, yeah. because I think it's peak annoying Keanu Reeves. He's acting weird. He's got his feet on a motorcycle, and he's driving in some desert, and it's incredibly strange. Um, all right, so on Point Break... When people are watching this, what's one thing they should watch for? Pre-Apprentice era or Celebrity Apprentice era Gary Busey. Oh, really? Yeah. Is Gary Busey still sexy in this movie? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But he's, I mean, likable. I like Gary Busey. Yeah. Probably because of Point Break more than anything else. So this is peak Gary Busey. Yeah. If we were going to pick like a movie to be like, we like Gary Busey, this is the movie to, to like Gary Busey. Basically. I mean, for me. For you, yeah. Is there any other contender? I can't. 
think I can't. Of, I was like, I think other. I can't think of another Gary Busey movie. Was he? Before, was he no, that was Nick Nolte. Never mind. No, don't you yeah. dare mix up Nick Nolte and Gary Busey. All right, um, I think that's everything. So we're gonna wrap it up, and we're gonna go to the recommendations, and you're gonna get your move for the week. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're gonna do some recommendations. I'm gonna go right away to Stephanie, who I forgot we forgot to do this in the last segment, so I thought we'd start off with it. The Riverdale is also doing a, like a bunch of other movies, and there's just a lot of opportunities to go to the movies right now for cheap. There's that Oscar pass we talked about, but there's this other. Are they calling it Movie House Series, is what you said, right? I don't think they're calling it that. I just sort of attached that label to it. But yeah, basically, uh, Riverdale 10 Cinema is making a point of incorporating some things into their repertoire that are not, you know, new uh, new films. And so uh, you can check those out. They're doing, uh, in March, they've got Clockwork Orange, Pulp Fiction, uh, April, Gone with the Wind, and The Big Lebowski. In May, they're doing Blazing Saddles and Fight Club. June, they're doing The Godfather Part 2, a true romance. <laughs> and then in the summer, they're doing Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jurassic Park. Two, two, those two in particular are movies that I didn't see in the theater. But, yeah, you know, just, just check out their calendar. They're putting some things up on the big screen that now it's a little difficult, at least in Arkansas, to see on the big screen. Yeah. I want to see Blazing Saddles in a theater. I've watched that alone so many times. I would love to, like, see what it's like to... See some of these movies with a crowd. There, a lot. Of, I think you'll most people will see these, but it'll be fun to see them with the crowd. Any other big recommendations for for you? I'm I'm holding the move till the end. But any other recommendations? I do have a recommendation. So I'm gonna recommend that if you do not have an iPhone, that you go uh, to Google Play and download something called the Google Live Earth wallpaper. And this is a couple of years old, which in tech time is like at least 10 years. But <laughs> evidently, Google partnered with this des design agency called Be Real. And what they did is create this high definition satellite imagery combined with live radar imagery of clouds. Oh, wow. So you can download a wallpaper for your phone that basically shows you what the earth looks like from uh, you know the position of the sun on the earth at any given point. It's gorgeous for one thing. For another thing, I find that times when I'm staring at my phone is often when I need that kind of perspective. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit, bit helpful uh, in that way, sort of in a, a philosophical way. Also, it's just really cool. Like yeah. you notice while you're looking outside and it's dusk, for example, how much light there is. And then when you look at this live earth wallpaper, you realize it's really just leftover sun. There's no, like the sun is not touching the point that that you're experiencing light, but uh, it's, it's pretty bizarre. You also realize how much light we put off. So I'm looking at it right now. And a, this is the best phone background. The, I've never thought, I've had like one thought, I was like, that's a good phone background when I look at mine. Oh breaking my God. the cardinal rule of a podcast by describing something visual. But like right now, it's 427, and so you can see the part of the Earth that's beginning to be enveloped in darkness, and you can see how much light we're actually putting off. And wow. it's, it's all live. The other cool thing is they managed to do it without completely running down your battery. So there's that. Wow. That was one of the best recommendations I think we'll ever have. That was incredible. I'm so excited. I wish I had an Android. I would love that. Uh, Amaya, do you have any recommendations? Yeah, I'm going to bounce off of what Stephanie just said and recommend that you write your local state representative to support the... Uh, anti-light pollution bill so All right, that, yeah. that preserve oh my ourselves. god Amaya with some local policy yeah. this is cool. the arts and entertainment podcaster 
Yeah, if you just do like, do a search for a Clear Skies Initiative, I think there's some information about light pollution that we can that we can do. Oh my. Yeah, apparently we're really really uh, effing shit up, right? Yeah, we, we are. Our light. Yeah. For the animals and our our comrades and neighbors on the planet. Renewable energy. I, that's a whole thing. I was about to start talking about a policy that someone else is reporting on, but I'm going to stop myself. We're going to focus in. We need to focus in really importantly on the puppy. How's it doing? How's the pup? How's Bacchus doing? He's going to get his rabies shots next week. Uh huh. Um, he's is he the biggest dog ever yet? Because he's, he's such not, a big dog. He's definitely getting bigger, noticeably bigger. He's not the biggest dog ever. He also, I don't know how to handle him when he. I like to get him, take him around other dogs to play. Uh huh. And he, for a puppy, is very bold. Bold. Yeah, he likes to start fights. He likes to get into stuff. So you know, they'll be going along and they're playing, tails are wagging, everything's great. And all of a sudden, they're just barking. I have to like separate them. He's and, a biter too. He likes to bite. Yeah, he likes to bite. And um, so I'm, I'm working on that. Have you done what I've requested so many times, which is get a spray bottle and spray him? I've not done the spray bottle yet. I so desperately want you to be a sheriff and spray bottle this dog when he. There's some real parallels with parenting going on here. <laughs> is the spray bottle? Please write in and tell me if the spray bottle is is wrong. I that's what we I was told to do with a dog. It's like you're supposed to get like a little spray bottle of water because it's not harmful, but it sort of yeah. like lets them know. Tell me, am I completely wrong on uh, on dog parenting? Look, you know, I don't know. All I know is that if. If, like, I had a dog who I very much loved and that dog was displaying aggressive behavior, somebody asked me about this dog's behavior, who I love, I would say they were bold. Yeah, <laughs> bold. You described it. Bold. I, I was hanging out with Bacchus the other day, and he was he was quite bold towards me. He came up, and we hugged. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the – yeah, I'm going to say hugged to define him jumping on me. Anyways, Bacchus is the cutest dog ever. He's also the biggest dog ever. Well, he's not big yet. He's going to be so big, though. He might be big. He he's going to be, be so big. He's a cute, cute dog. All right. We've got Bacchus stuff out of the way. I'll make two quick recommendations. One, uh, The Onion has a fake podcast, which is just unbelievably funny. It is called A Very Fatal Murder, and I don't want to ruin it, but it is the one of the best things ever, and um, it is just so funny, and it makes fun of tons of murder podcasts, and it's great. The other thing is, there's a really great uh, profile of Timothy Chalamet in GQ. Uh, I thought it was exceptional. It's it's just interesting to read about him as a person. And the, I think the real hook of the, the profile is, the profile writer, uh, his name's Dana Riley, he's from, from GQ, caught him at this point where he had just finished doing all this stuff. He'd finished Call Me By Your Name and he'd finished Lady Bird. And it's before he got really famous. But it's this sort of stretch of time where it's like, He's about to get really famous, and he knows it, and his entire life is about to change. So it's that moment right before it's like pre-this Timothy Chalamet and post-this Timothy and it kind of follows him through that moment of him being like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be like the actor that everyone talks about for the next at least few years. I mean, like, he is, there's a potential that Timothy Chalamet is like the actor of this generation to a certain extent. And so, I mean, it's a really interesting profile, and I think will be something that we hearken back to when we're like, 10 years deep into Timothy Chalamet being the new Leonardo DiCaprio and talking about him all the time and, and stuff like that. So I'd recommend checking it out if you're you're interested in that. And also follow Timothy Chalamet on Instagram. The man is beautiful. And he posts beautiful <laughs> pictures of himself being beautiful. All right, what's the move for the weekend, Stephanie? I'm going to say that if you, don't, uh, if you don't know, we have a poet living in our midst who's getting a lot of attention um, 
for her uh, insightful take on the body. And her name is Molly McCauley Brown. She's the current uh, Jeff Baskin Fellow at the Oxford American. And she happens to be also the speaker this week at a series called Argenta Reading Series. It's held right on Main Street at 421 Main Street, which is, I believe it's the site of First United Methodist Church over there, but it's basically like a boutique storefront type space. Really small, uh, narrow, and really intimate for this type of encounter. Go hear her. She's reading Saturday. Um, name's Molly McCulley Brown, and her book, uh, The Virginia State Colony for the Epileptics and Feeble-Minded, is out now and um, really moving some people included myself. I read a poem called uh, What There Is to Give, which is the second in a series about the blind room, which is the solitary confinement room in the Virginia State Colony for Epileptics and Feeble-Minded uh, Government-run Residential Hospital in Virginia near where uh, Molly grew up and where thousands of people with mental and physical dis disabilities were committed in the early 1900s. So just as a taste, check that out, What There Is to Give, Molly McCauley Brown. I have no idea if she'll be reading that, but it's just a little taste of her work. Yeah, she's an, except an exceptional poet. So definitely go check that out, and we'll see you next week. And thanks so much for listening.